0: Now you could say that the most important professionals of the last two years have been in the healthcare sector. But arguably, the second most important are those running our supply chains. And despite the shutdowns of the global economy, the movement of goods, whether it be essentials or conveniences, it's all held up remarkably well. The urgency of a pandemic, combined with a suite of powerful technologies, has allowed organizations to forecast, plan, adjust, and even reimagine their supply chains in ways that would have been unimaginable just a decade ago. So we've learned a lot. However, it's time to rise to new challenges. There's climate change, sustainability, and of course, cybersecurity. Organizations need resilient supply chains in the face of extreme weather events and ecological crises, so, it's time to replot their logistics to bring down emissions and pollution. On cybersecurity, executives will need all the tools at their disposal, like artificial intelligence, sensors, and cloud computing. I'm Manisha Tank. I'm an investor, broadcaster, and coach. And I warmly welcome you to this Accenture Enterprise Transformation podcast. So, throughout this series, I'll be talking to leaders from Accenture and their partners. We'll talk about how technology-enabled transformations in customer experience, human resources, and supply chains are in turn changing the roles and the functions of senior leaders and the C-suite. So for today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Vivek Luthra, Managing Director and Supply Chain Growth Markets Lead at Accenture. Vivek has advised some of Accenture's biggest clients in the Asia-Pacific region. A big hello to you, Vivek. Uh, how are you?
1: Very good, Manisha. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Excellent. And in a moment, we'll learn a little bit more about what your role entails. Also joining us, Arjun Azli, Chief Digital Officer of Petronas. It's a dynamic Malaysian global energy group. You may have heard of it, especially if you like F1. Uh, It has a presence in over 50 countries and produces and delivers energy and solutions that power society's progress in a responsible and sustainable manner. Arjun, how are you?
2: I'm good, Manisha. Such a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's great to have you. So so Vivek, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your role?
1: Sure, Manisha. Thank you. Uh, so I'm based out of Melbourne, Australia, and I run uh, Accenture's uh, supply chain business uh, in the region, which uh, covers Asia Pacific, Middle East, Africa and Latin America. It's a big part of our uh, uh, business uh, uh, What I do uh, specifically is I work with uh, some of our clients in helping them solve some of the biggest challenges uh, when it comes to reimagining supply chains of the future. This future of supply chain is about uh, supply networks. And how do you actually make enduring change to these supply networks by thinking not only about uh, economic benefits, but also the benefits to the society uh, and the planet? So that's really something which I'm very passionate
2: about.
0: So lovely to meet you. Arjun, can you tell us a little bit more about your role?
2: Okay. As the CDO of Petronas, my core role is basically driving this digital transformation for Petronas. And when we talk about digital transformation, we look at it in three tranches or three buckets. Uh, One is really unlocking data to create solutions utilizing digital. Number two is basically putting in the key building blocks to enable people to be working at a much faster pace and more productive. These are things like cloud, um, like platforms and also cybersecurity and data. And the third one is really about way of working and enhancing the capability, uh, and upskilling people about digital. So I think those are the three, uh, strategic levers that we look at. That's my everyday life, Manisha. That's what I'm worried about every day.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, hey, let's get into some of the history of the last couple of years. Uh, It's interesting that, Adrian, we're sort of celebrating on this call because you've recently come out of lockdown. But I think that's indicative of the fact that we've all been affected by the pandemic in one way or another. And this is why we're having this conversation. Supply chains have had to respond to this. The people who manage them have to respond. Vivek, let's take this one to you. In the early stages of the pandemic, there were some very serious worries about how all of these global supply chains would actually hold up because suddenly you had people being quarantined en masse. You had people having to down tools. We were running from this disease. Even the WTO estimated that world merchandise trade fell by 5.3% in 2020. I think that's a good example of just how much of an impact it had. So do you think it's fair to say that while there have been challenges then and now, If we look at where we are now and how we got through it, actually, there's been quite an impressive response.
1: Uh, It is interesting, Manisha, uh, the way you frame this question, right? I I really think uh, it is only over the last uh, 24, 36 months that supply chain has truly become a boardroom agenda. It was never. I mean, you would get products on shelves and no one really bothered about what was supply chain doing in the background to make sure that those products magically appear uh, However, uh, you know, what initially was a health crisis resulted in a lot of supply shocks. I mean, uh, factories could not manufacture, uh, there were disruptions, and then that is something uh, which we saw induce what we call a bullwhip effect. Basically, you think about it, you stop something, then you start it again, and then when the supply chains are very long, you manufacture in one part of the world, you consume in another, uh, it has kind of an impact, which is, uh, economists would define that as a a bullwhip effect. So really, uh, if you see what has happened over the last uh, two years, uh, I think companies, leaders specifically, have started to invest a lot in digital capabilities. Having end-to-end visibility uh, across the supply chain uh, basically helps companies become more resilient. We just finished a survey as part of our Industry X mastery research where we surveyed around 900 senior executives uh, across the globe. And what was very interesting was uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID, the digital maturity of these companies has increased by about 10 percentage points, which is phenomenal. Uh, What is even more interesting is we're starting to see a difference between the performance, the performance between the leaders and the laggards. The gap is increasing a lot. Companies which have invested in digital, who are now more resilient, are able to perform about five times better than companies who have not. So very interesting times, but you see companies have invested a lot in basically bringing forward their digitalization plan. As a result of digitalization, they have this visibility because of which they can plan, they can prepare, they can intervene, and they can do things.
0: Yeah, it definitely helps. Can I just ask you, I mean, it's it's interesting that you point out the then and the now. Um, In the journalism world, often when there's some major shock, and in fact, we're going to talk about climate change later, you know, there have been serious floods in parts of the world and journalists often use the this is what it looked like before, this is what it looked like now picture. In this context, Vivek, what did it look like then and what does it look like now? Can you just paint that picture for us?
1: So there is fair amount of business and economic volatility. which started as a health crisis, kind of translated quickly into uh, volatility uh, all around the businesses. What that meant uh, was basically that companies uh, were mostly reacting to something has happened. Let's say you have a network, so somewhere you manufacture, somewhere you supply, and then it gets consumed. Uh, so for various reasons, you have a couple of what we call nodes breaking down. So a manufacturing node kind of breaks down because it's out of manufacturing for various reasons for a couple of weeks. Uh In the old ways of doing things, it was very difficult to understand that by getting that node out, what is the impact on my networks? For example, who are all the customers, direct and indirect, uh, being fulfilled uh, by that particular node? or what are the other constraints in the supply chain uh, which could impact uh, how much time would it take uh, for this node to come back up? Uh, So in the old world, it was mostly uh, trying to to figure out how best to find an alternative node which could kind of then backfill uh, the original node. In the new world, when you have uh, everyone connected, Your ability to be able to exactly know if a node goes down in a matter of hours as to who are the suppliers, who are the customers who get impacted, what are the constraints within my supply chain, uh, which are now uh, going to be under pressure, uh, that happens in a matter of hours. Which means you are much better prepared to react, uh, which means you can leverage some of those means uh, to basically be able to intervene so you can still keep uh, supply chains up and running. Now, companies are thinking about resiliency as the new value driver. So if my node goes down, how much time does it take to get that node back? If my node goes down, can I survive without that node for how many number of days? So people are moving from what we would call just in time to just in case. So hopefully, I think that kind of paints a picture.
0: Thank you for that, Vivek, just doing that contrast in comparison for us. Um, Adrian, from your perspective, from your experience at Patronus, how did the pandemic affect you guys? Where are you now compared to early 2020? I mean, I'm just curious in your role, when you realized all of this was happening, what went through your mind?
2: Sure, Manisha. I think it would be really lying to say that we anticipated this, right? Even though the signs were there, several uh, signposts have been met. But the severity of this pandemic, I don't think anyone would have anticipated that and the extent and the impact of it. I came to this job in the midst of the pandemic, like literally in 2020. And in fact, for the one year or so, I haven't even met any of my team members physically because I didn't have a chance to do so. But I think there was foresight from the predecessors and from the organization itself that embarked on a digital transformation two years before that. So because of that, there was already a lot of foundation that was put in place in terms of setting up the right platforms, in terms of making sure that connectivity was put in place, that was already in place. So when the pandemic hit, we were able to actually work. We will still be able to function and work and get our key operations done and do it in a safe and secure manner as well because we've already invested in things like enhancing our cybersecurity, ensuring that our data interfaces are put in place and the key platforms are in place the pandemic is the double-edged sword it does really disrupt there's uh, costs related to things like you have to do testing that added to project costs. We were not being able to deploy people as fast as possible. There are things like um, quarantines that are in place, there's vaccine requirements. So all those things really impact in terms of pace of delivery. And in terms of decisions as well, investment decisions, because there was uncertainty on when recovery would pick up, that also made uh, decisions become a bit more complex and difficult to make. But on the other hand, in terms of actually accelerating implementation, in terms of mitigating the risk, before this, a lot of things were still in POC or being discussed in a boardroom in terms of, are we willing to take the risk? Are we willing to test it out? What POCs that we need to do? Because of COVID, it really necessitates the ability to just get on with it and, and go and do it. And I think... On that hand, it really helped in terms of facilitating and accelerating. Where we are now in 2020, we're a lot better positioned. I think there's a lot more clarity. The oil and gas business is really on an upturn. Demand is recovering. Unfortunately, there's been a bit of an underinvestment in the last three or four years. So I guess there's also a, a push now to really catch up with the demand that we see recovering. So that's where we are at the moment, Manisha.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, again, how you're looking at the different slices of this and how there can be pros and cons. Um, From a logistic and supply chain perspective, do you feel that, therefore, given what you were saying, the fact that your predecessors had put these measures in place, um, let's go back to what Vivek was saying about resilience. Do you feel that Petronas was perhaps more resilient than others?
2: Indeed, I I think... Really, logistics is the lifeblood of any company, especially for an oil and gas and energy company like us. Come what may, it really needs to move. And even so, when other people are not moving, there's more actual logistic requirements. And I think there's two key points that I like what Vivek talked about. It's really about connectivity and visibility. Because of digital and because of the technology investments, because we have visibility and connectivity, we are able to... um, problem solve and work with different partners and uh, different nodes, um, mo- and that give rise to perhaps things like uh, you know all these delivery services and all that this is just like an everyday life that I want to demonstrate how connectivity and visibility allows logistics to still happen perhaps in a different form uh, but it still meets both the supply and demand requirements
0: yeah absolutely Um, I'm sure this word node is going to take on a brand new meaning for me after this podcast, because I'm now understanding how one leads to another. All right, let's move on to talking about the tech stack. So Vivek, you know, how important has today's tech stack been in making possible all these successes that we've talked about over the last two years? Because clearly, from what both of you are saying, uh, there has been this resilience that you speak about. Now, I've In Accenture's Technology Vision 2022 survey, it's just been published, 74% of global executives report the number of IoT slash edge devices deployed in their organizations significantly or exponentially increased over the past three years. This gets back to that point you were making, Vivek, earlier about, you know, this is a boardroom level issue now. It's a boardroom level topic. Are these technologies then helping supply chain executives actually accomplish things that they couldn't before? From everything you're saying so far, it seems absolutely.
1: Fundamentally, what is happening is supply chain is no longer a chain. It's a network. So you have ecosystem players coming together, trying to do something, which basically means uh, that you need to know who's doing what. uh, You need to be able to uh, take that data, uh, use that data to, to unlock value. Uh, I will borrow something from my CEO, Julie Sweet, about uh, Accenture's point of view around, uh, you know, how cloud has become an enabler. So the cloud really has become an enabler. Uh, Data has uh, become the driver because uh, once you have cloud, uh, a lot of people can, you know, uh, leverage technology anywhere, wherever they are. But that generates a lot of data. So then the key thing becomes uh, AI. Artificial intelligence becoming the differentiator. How do you translate having all that data into actionable things, right? So if you see what we see leaders do is following this mantra, which is uh, cloud, uh, you know, being an enabler, uh, data being the driver and AI being the differentiator. Let me try and put it in context of what does that mean from a supply chain perspective. There are three key things which we are seeing in technology platforms right now leaders drive. Uh, The first one, we spoke about resiliency. So companies are starting to build what we call digital twins. So digital twins are the digital realization of a company's value chain so that they can see how it works end to end. Because there are so many things which are now changing. When the environment becomes more volatile, uh, data is everything. For you to be able to Do scenarios as to if this happens and what would we do? For that, you need to be able to simulate how the business runs. uh, The better prediction you can make, so that you can become more resilient. So, if something happens which you've not planned for, which is the lesson, right? The second thing, uh, you know, which actually I'm working very closely with, is around what we call multi-party systems, because the supply chains are now network. You have to have a relationship of trust and transparency between different network players. So, these multi-party systems are new technologies which were not as mature a while ago. Uh, But now what multi-party systems can do is it can let companies collaborate uh, in a very uh, transparent manner so that they can come based on principle, they can come together and create something new, create something more of value multi-party systems, use something what we call distributed ledger technology. So think about if you and I, you know, uh, work together, uh, basically, uh, we make a true copy of every activity which I would do, I'll pass it on to you, and I can make it accessible to you, and you can do some things on top of that. So really, multi-party systems let you uh, basically collaborate across the network. That's the second big thing. And the third big thing which is happening uh, is around the whole customer experience. Customers have started to evolve. The chemical companies who are now having more than half of their business come through online. So really, the habits of consumers have started to change. So marketplaces is the third thing, which is totally changing how supply chains work. Marketplaces, which lets you give the right kind of experience so that you can segment your customer based on what the customer wants the supply chain to be running, which is providing that seamless experience. Uh, how do you actually then make sure that the supply chain can then fulfill the promise which a marketplace gives, right?
0: Yeah, I, I hear you totally. Adrian. Let's take it to you, because I think one of the things actually Vivek has just pointed out is, you know, you have all this data, right? And data enables you to see patterns. So as you start tracking those patterns, I suppose that these new technologies and platforms are actually allowing you to be a bit more predictive with your supply chain investments. Can you tell us a little bit more about this?
2: Yeah, very much so. I I think uh, in the context of supply chain specifically, uh, I think for Petronas, when we look at it in general, all those things that uh, Vivek has mentioned, things like uh, digital twin, like remote autonomous, they're not necessarily new, but I think the appetite for this have really increased, uh, right, Vivek? In the sense that before this, the parity was not very clear. If we didn't do this, then what happens? We're still operating. We still can operate manually. But if there was really an advantage of a pandemic, is that That parity is really starkingly clear now that what if you really can't go there? What if you are limited in your ability to go there? So I think things and technologies such as digital twin and uh, remote autonomous, it's really taking off. But in the context of uh, logistics itself, we really think that it's based on three pillars that we are really focusing on. One, it's leveraging on the platform or the network effect, which I think uh, Vivek alluded to as well. Secondly, it's really about AI and really optimizing all these various datas that we have. And thirdly, again, it's all about security and creating a trust platform. So let let me try to go quickly one by one, uh, Manisha. In terms of the network effect, if we look at a lot of the other supply chains, uh, they've really benefited from platform players, you know, common names now like Uber, like Grab, Airbnb. It really is about connecting multiple stakeholders through a connectivity and visibility through this platform or network effect. But surprisingly, in an energy and uh, offshore logistics, this has not been done. And offshore logistics is even larger, but it's a US $10 billion market size. And surprisingly, or I don't know whether you know this, if we look at the vessels and helicopters, only 50% of it is actually utilized. So because of this, we thought, and working with our partners, one of them being Essentia, we created what we call an offshore logistics ventures, or OLV in short. And the idea first and foremost is using the concept of what we've seen using network effect on things like uber grab airbnb can we utilize this and i think we've been working for this for close to a year and the impact so far has been very very good we realize that with the multiple stakeholders now the visibility is still rather poor in terms of talking to one another it's still very manual Uh, We're looking at things that is from a way of working is still using Excel spreadsheets. And if I want to order a vessel, you literally had to email a spreadsheet or you have to call the vessel owners, right? And because of that, the line of visibility is really, really very short. And this is where optimization comes in because when more and more people can see the line of sight becomes a lot clearer, and then we can really optimize between supply and demand. So this OLV, we're looking at creating and testing a platform that enables upstream operators to perform tactical optimization all the way from demand planning, but also from pricing and voyage completion. So it's really an end-to-end platforming that supply chain for offshore logistics. Secondly is that offshore logistics also creates a lot of data points. You know, Every ship creates about 1 million data points. I didn't know this before we went into this venture.
0: That's remarkable. 1 million data points. It is, it is,
2: right? We thought it's just a simple A to B. What data points are we talking about? And from this experience, we found out that it is really, really emitting a lot of data. And there's so many permutations. Uh, when when we thought of this concept, the first thing I, I we thought about was that this is similar to an airline industry or a hotel industry, right? But when we spoke to people from that industry, we realized that the data points for these two industries is actually a lot less than offshore logistics. Because, for example, it's only about whether you're in business class or economy class, and one person is per one seat. But when you go offshore logistics, it's about upper birth, lower birth. What type of product is it? Is it... Um, Liquids, is it chemical, the requirements of the liquids, where is it going, multiple drop points. Because there's more data points, the permutations really get accelerated exponentially. And this is where AI will come in, right? Because of AI, this is far more than the human brain can comprehend. And this is something that is really ripe for an AI solution. And thirdly, with so many data and visibility being put together through this platform of OLV. This is where also the trust platform and creating that safe cyber network so that people and all the stakeholders can have that uh, digital handshake. So this is really an, uh, something that I'm very excited about. We've tested it, we've worked on it. It's really shown some good uh, early signs of, of success. And I think this is not just a Petronas. Pain point. This is something shared globally and shared with other companies as well. And I think we can really benefit for this as an industry.
0: It's remarkable, actually, because like all great inventions, once it's happened or once it's happening, you look back and you think, "Gosh, wasn't that obvious?" <laughs> but you only right, like right. that <laughs> retrospectively, right? But I love this point that you're making about partnership and collaboration, because I, it, I guess what you're saying is it can't happen without any of that. And it is going to be successful with it. That was something actually I wanted to ask you about, Vivek. Can you just tell us about some of the partnership models that you're seeing emerge? Obviously, this is one of them and it's hugely successful.
1: Yep. No, I think that's uh, that's very topical. Uh, and I think we've been very fortunate working with Adrian and the rest of his executive team. Uh, And I'll talk a little bit about uh, partnership model between Accenture and uh, and Petrons, which is very different. I mean, those are not normal models. But when we come to supply chain, what we normally see as we were talking that supply chain is no longer a chain, it's a network, right? If that's the fundamental premise is uh, network comprises of multiple partners who bring very unique strengths, right? So how do you then actually create a very different type of ecosystem which can unlock new types of value? What brings the ecosystem together is the larger why of the network. With respect to that, uh, we uh, actually evaluated uh, multiple solutions uh, and uh, decided to build the solution partnering with Microsoft on the Azure cloud platform, which is really the intelligent platform which uh, powers this entire uh, venture. At the heart of it, we are dealing with a lot of data as vessels move from place to another data with respect to infrastructure, data with respect to route planning, and our ability to be able to drive and and convert that data into actionable insights is at the heart of uh, what this platform needs to do. Also equally important is the ability to scale. As more and more customers comes onto these platforms, we want to make sure uh, that the platform is still driving the right kind of user experience, uh, is able to scale, not only in Malaysian waters, as this venture uh, kind of moves into areas outside Malaysian waters as well.
2: Just to build on that quickly, Manisha, is that you know, when we look at the term innovation, a lot of times we always think of innovation in terms of technology, um, digital, but I think moving forward, a lot of this innovative space is also in terms of redefining partnerships, right? And commercial constructs and relationships. And I think a lot of the work that Vivek and me did in OLV at our level, Vivek, was really innovating that partnership, that relationship and the commercial construct and how we measure each other and the definition of success from each each partners. So I just wanted to just add that bit about innovation. It's not just, you know, the realm of data scientists and engineers. It's also from, from commercial constructs and the business and the partnership as well.
0: It's amazing to see how our mindset actually about the work itself has shifted over the last couple of decades. Finally, we need it to shift, don't we? Because now we need to talk about climate change. So according to the World Trade Organization, trade plays a crucial role in the transition to a global low-carbon economy and a greener, more sustainable society. So obviously, climate change, it's this huge, big supply chain challenge. We've got to consider the risk. We've got to consider which networks are resilience. Notice how I use the word networks. You guys have taught me that. Uh, but also, companies are trying to reduce their emissions. That is a really big deal. How do you do this Again, I'm sure that collaboration, partnership, using the data, using the technology is all part of that. Vivek, can you just walk us through the biggest, what might be the biggest supply chain transformations brought on by climate change?
1: Uh, I think the biggest uh, thing which I see over the last uh, few years becoming more and more important for companies is, uh, you know, relooking looking at how do you uh, measure high performance for supply chains? Uh, I think we briefly touched on it uh, for years. The way we've been working on supply chains is we try and optimize cost and service levels. However, I think climate challenge most probably is the biggest challenge which is uh, being faced by all of us together. So supply chains are upwards of 70% of emissions for most of the businesses. So you can imagine that they have a lot more to contribute if we were to meaningfully do something about the climate challenge which we collectively face. So the first big step is in measuring high performance, not on just cost and service levels, but measuring high performance based on environmental impacts, measuring high performance based on social impacts, and cost and service levels. I think that's a fundamental shift. Uh, I think it has to start from top to start to understand that most probably, uh, you know, these are uh, equal and more important. There is enough evidence as well that the companies who are doing good for society and the planet, that is translating to doing good for their businesses as well. You can easily see in data that the companies who are doing this are performing much better uh, in terms of shareholder returns as well. Uh, So I think I would say the biggest thing is to change supply chain measurement to holistic performance measurement, which is measure the environmental impact. The biggest cost item for logistics is fuel, right? So if we can optimize fuel, you can optimize uh, the environmental impact.
0: And very quickly, Vivek, obviously the technology available today leans into our capability to be able to track that sort of information, right?
1: Basically, when we work on sustainability, we work on three areas. Uh, The first one is around the whole emissions management, which is, you know, uh, targeting net zero. For example, companies are investing in what we call carbon twins, which can give you end-to-end measurement of what's happening. And that cuts across the more easier ones which companies have started working on are things like scope one emissions, which they directly control. Scope two, which is the energy they buy. So how can they shift to renewables? And then scope three being the larger supplier ecosystem, which Adrian spoke about uh, earlier on in the session as well. So really that puts together uh, the holistic uh, emissions management. Uh, The second thing is around this whole trusted and transparent relationships, uh, which is basically making sure that you can totally see what's happening in the upstream. Are the right practices being followed? Are the workers safe? That kind of becomes, uh, you know, the theme around the whole uh, zero inequality. Uh, And last uh, but not the least is around what we call uh, zero waste, uh, which is largely building circularity. Supply chains are transforming into circular supply chains, which is going to be big, uh, it is going to be massive, and that's the third part. That's when you start to bring these three together uh, through technologies.
0: Now, Arjun, I think uh, Vivek has pointed to the fact that you've got a lot of experience of how all of this plays out with the offshore logistics venture and the sustainability agenda. Uh, just tell the story.
2: Yeah, I-, I think from a sustainability climate change point of view of Petronas, we're a firm believer and we've put on real commitments as part of our net zero carbon commitments. And we're really happy to see that the whole industry is really shifting towards this more than ever, I think in the energy industry, that seriousness of pace and commitment is probably at the highest level right now. And I think this is something really positive. But at the same time, coming from an energy industry's point of view, I think for Petronas, we also acknowledge that the need for affordable energy is also real. There's large facets of um, society out there which is still not getting that ability to secure affordable energy. So I think, and and I want to quote my uh, CEO on this, For Petronas, we really believe that this transition must be just, it must be measured, and it also must be sustainable. So on that front, I think we also believe what Vivek alluded to before this, what is good for the earth must also be good for business. I've mentioned before as well, when we talk about ESG, there's almost two hidden E's inside there, economic viability and efficiency in order for that esg effort climate change effort to be sustainable and to be able to get people behind it it must be economically viable and it must be on the back of making optimized and more efficient operations but at the same time which uh, vivek has also mentioned a large chunk of that cost is actually really fuel cost and all this can be taken down, we believe, if we are able to optimize that, if we're able to reduce wasting uh, time in terms of waiting time, if we can uh, reduce the efforts of voyages that is uh, on suboptimum routes. And to a certain extent, I think we've proven this because through the uh, current work that we've done for the last year or so, we've managed to reduce... Uh, on average, about 15% of fuel savings per weight just on the use cases that we've done as part of our um, first phase of OLV within the Malaysian waters and within Petronas operations. Now, if we translate that 15% of fuel savings, which is also good because it reduces cost, that translates, and don't quote me on this, but plus minus about 9.7 thousand tons of CO2. And that's quite significant. And this is just the start. This is just the surface. And we've only looked at fuel savings on logistics. We haven't looked at other operating parameters. And we believe that this is something that the whole industry can also be excited about. And coming back to what Vivek is saying, that being also innovative and creative in the partnership, we've set this up not just as a consultant or a service provider to a company, we're looking, setting this up as a venture because we believe what we're doing now uh, has got the potential to be used uh, and capitalized by other players in the industry as well, Manisha.
0: Yeah, I was wondering exactly that. I was thinking 15% cost savings and you were talking just about Malaysian waters. What happens when you scale that and you share Mm -hmm. this blueprint with others?
2: Mm -hmm. That's the
0: idea. Okay. So now we're on to the final question. After everything I've heard, I feel like the both of you and the people you represent, the people who work with you, vast workforces, all the people involved in supply chain networks are actually silent heroes because we have been through so much disruption over the last few years. But you've all been quietly pedalling underneath the desk, keeping everything running, and in some cases, keeping it running from home. And a lot of technology has enabled that to happen. So look, you know, we've talked about climate change, we've talked about the pandemic, we've also talked about the evolution of technology and supply chains. So what I want to know is how is all of this affecting you at the more personal level? I guess you know you have to, and you said this at the beginning, Adrin. You were talking about, you know, we talked about how I joked a little bit and I said, you know, every day you're dealing with something new, but you have to be so adaptable. You have to keep on evolving. You have to keep on educating yourself and others. So tell us a little bit about that journey.
2: I think it's really about upskilling and learning something new and really believing that the status quo is not going to get us where we want to be tomorrow. I think as we go on this journey of upskilling, there's two parameters right one is how do we retain some of these capabilities how do we ensure that the years and years of knowledge and data points that we have within the industry we can codify that so that more and more people can learn from it secondly to me is that we've got a lot of new entrants joining and that's great We've got new people coming in because we're also a big believer of diversity. That's the only way that we can grow and think outside the box. And I think this is, again, where I, from my lens, believe digital can play a huge part in both codifying some of the tacit knowledge that we have within the industry and at the same time in really upskilling some of the youngsters that's coming in. But only when we blend all these three elements, the ability to retain, the ability to upskill, and that need to change our way of working and our philosophy of how we see the world and we see changes. I think this is going to be the key levers in creating an adaptable company, right? Uh, In today's world, the true winners are not those people with the right technology, the right strategy, the right investments it's really the company that can adapt and pivot quickly when things change. And I think predicating and underpinning that is really the workforce and the talents that they have. So, yeah, that, that that's, I guess, what I believe in and, and how we're going to win in today's ever-changing world, Anisha.
0: I get it. I, I hear you. And, you know, we've used the word transition. Uh, we are transitioning to a new world at such a fast rate. And on that note, Vivek, you get the final word. Uh, What do you say to those and joining your teams, to other executives about the kind of skills and capabilities they need? And do you feel that executives in this space are evolving fast enough for this changing world that Adrian was just talking about?
1: So I think that is the million dollar question, right? Uh, First of all, uh, I think 76% of CEOs when we surveyed them are totally, you know, invested in digital. They are putting massive investments Uh, But when you ask them what's their biggest number one challenge, they all talk about talent. I think talent is scarce. Uh, There is not just enough that, uh, you know, colleges are producing, not with the right skill sets. Uh, Second, uh, within the company, not everyone wants to or has the aptitude to evolve to something like that. Uh, The second part is uh, identifying the right kind of talent, who would be good fit. It is very difficult to attract a lot of new talent who get excited about working in logistics, working in uh, energy. But now when you start putting human plus machines together and the type of work they do, right? If this was a person who was basically doing network planning, who was doing carbon neutralization, you can imagine there will be queues of people who would want to have that career because the, the new generation today is driven a lot by the larger purpose.
0: Since you talk about talent, if there was a young grad listening to this podcast right now, And you needed to share with that young grad three main qualities that you would want from them. What would they be?
2: I think coming from energy and logistics, Manisha, we're not delusional. We know that we're probably not the most popular employer at the moment. A lot of the younger talents wants to be in software. And more importantly, the driver for that is because their purpose. They want to do something that is seen as not polluting the earth or seen as not being not green well let me give a slightly different point of view if you are really serious about that purpose of energy transition of uh, co2 of net zero who do you think would be able to really make a dent and really try to solve this problem the people within or people out there in doing uh, YouTube content creators, you are not going to solve those problems by doing that. So I would like to ask all of you guys who is really keen, come and join us, come and join this energy industry, come and join the logistics industry and be part of this revolution as we try to solve the problem, as we try to make a difference. I still believe we are the ones with the actual playground, with the assets, with the capacity, and now we've added to that this real movement and scale and commitment to make it happen. So I would like to say that if you are really keen, rather than do the opposite and not join, come and join us. Be part of the solution.
0: I love it, Adrian. I'm not a young grad, but even as a podcaster, (laughs) you make me want to stop what I'm doing and come and be part of the revolution. (laughs) Gents, thank you so much. It's been such a fascinating conversation. We've learned so much about what's been going on behind the scenes to protect people, to supply people, to keep things moving, to keep people employed. The list goes on. And an incredible way in which you're leveraging technology, new ideas, innovative spirit to make it all happen. Thank you so much to Vivek Luthera Managing Director and Supply Chain Growth Markets Lead at Accenture, and Adrian Asli, CDO over at Patronus. You guys were great. Also great to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Enterprise Transformation. Uh, Next time, we're going to be looking at what most organizations consider to be their most valuable asset. Guess what? It's people. We were just talking about that. We're going to ask, how is digital technology transforming human resources? I really hope that you will listen in to that. Gents, an opportunity for you both to raise your voices and say thanks uh, to the audience as well, Vivek.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Manisha. Thank you, Adrian. It was a pleasure.
0: Adrian.
2: Thank you very much, Manisha, and always a pleasure as well, Vivek. And and I hope as we move forward, this is an exciting space to all of us.
0: Thanks so much for that, Adrian. And on that note, if you do have any feedback or questions about this podcast, or even the topics we've discussed today, you can contact us at accenture.com forward slash supply chain. This podcast is produced by EI Studios, the custom content division of Economist Impact.